Blog Talk Radio. afternoon where you are, but I pray that whatever time of day it is, that you are having a marvelous day and that this will be the start of a brand new week. Our topic today and next week is a friend is a friend at all times. I found a gem of a new book. It's entitled, Never Unfriended, and the author is Lisa Jo Baker. I thought we'd begin this uh, segment with some excerpts from that particular book. <clears throat> Excuse me. Lisa says, in a world where women, and of course this can be men as well, but her focus is women, In a world where women can unfriend each other with the swipe of a finger, how do we find friendships that we can trust to last? Maybe by first becoming those kinds of lasting friends ourselves. As the community manager at the website encouraged me, uh, she says that she's had the a chance to engage hundreds of conversations with women about friendship. She's learned that no one can make us quite as unsure about ourselves as another woman, and nothing can wound as deeply as unkind words from a friend. I hope we have not been the um, friends that have cast those unkind words, but if we have been, let this reading at least, if not this book, if you decide to purchase it, be something that can help all of us to find a better way. Continuing, while we are all hungry for friendships, it's the fear of feeling awkward and being rejected, left out, or hurt yet again that often keep us from connecting. But, this is the question, what if we knew we could never be unfriended? Would we risk friendships then? No one, no one, she really believes that no one can make us quite as unsure about ourselves as another woman. I had to think about that. But, and you know, I'm still not sure I agree with it all the way. I mean, men have said some pretty um, cutting things uh, during the course of my life, and I I don't know if I would measure it a man against a woman or not, but that's her point of view. <clears throat> Moving on. We can stand knee-deep in witty conversation, holding cupcakes in one hand and our highly connected smartphones in the other, only to go home 
and whisper in quiet tears to our husbands, our brothers, our dads, our roommates, or our moms, how left out we really felt. We want to matter to people we think matter. We want the people we think matter to single us out. We want them to want to spend time with us. We want them to want to share bits of themselves with us that they don't share with anyone else. We want them to invite us in. Into the shared secrets and secret Facebook groups, into the late night conversations and preschool play dates, into the weekend getaways or playground pickup routines, into the Bible studies and co-ops, into the conferences and mom's groups, planning committees, study groups, vacation plans. We want in. Left on the wrong side of the door, we really can regress into eighth grade versions of ourselves in mere minutes. We worry that we're too tall, too short, too uncool or unfashionable or uncomfortable in our own skins to fit in or that we're too loud, or too quiet, or too much, or too little, there is a voice that whispers all the reasons we deserve to be out, a voice that taunts. There is a voice that relentlessly lifts every time we found ourselves on the outside and actually revels in each remembering. There is a mean girl inside us all who will hypnotize us if we let her. She will poison and paralyze our friendships by focusing on the moments when we felt excluded. She will trick us into thinking that there's an inner circle we've been left out of. She will repeat the lie that we've been left out on purpose and maybe painfully, sometimes we have. Everyone is on the outside of something, but that is only half the story. The good news is that we are all on the inside of something, often without even realizing it. And that is what this book is about. It's about looking deep into the eyes of that teenager inside you, cupping your hands gently around her tender, confused face and pointing her in the direction of all the in that's waiting for her. All the ways she's wanted, all the ways she belongs, if she's willing. If she's willing to stop keeping score and making lists of who's in, and who's out, and if she will begin to do the terrifying work of letting people see her naked insides, and scarier yet, if she's willing to make the first move, or even worse, the hundredth move, the thousandth move of starting over and over and over again at being the friend she wants. Because no matter how invisible you feel or how well you are known, I have yet to meet another woman who doesn't have scars 
from broken friendships. In a world where we can be unfriended with the swipe of a finger, sometimes as recently as yesterday, maybe even last night or this morning, those scars can defeat us. They can isolate us. And we can become experts at cutting people out of our lives just so we don't have to deal with the discomfort of being their friend. However, the ultimate friend, Jesus, the one who moved into the neighborhood to get to know us, the friend of the popular and unpopular, of priests and pastors, of the uneducated and the graduated, of elementary school girls and their minivan-driving moms, put it pretty plain and simple. When he when asked what the greatest commandment was, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. The book of Luke picks up this thread in conversation with Jesus and a legal scholar who also quoted this commandment. But when the scholar pressed Jesus to define who exactly this neighbor is that we're commanded to love, Jesus didn't give an inch. He gave a story. And it defines neighbor not as a particular who, but instead as a what, as in what should you do. A parable of the Good Samaritan isn't about identifying your neighbor. It's about being a neighbor. In essence, it's about being the kind of friend you wish you had. In Luke 10, Jesus tells the story of a man who gets mugged and left for dead on the right side of the road. Or maybe in our case, the woman who gets beat up by the verbal attacks of the Internet. Her roommates, other mothers on the PTA, or maybe, so unfortunately, her church family. And instead of offering help, Jesus describes two people who literally looked the other way and kept right on walking. Two people who, according to their job descriptions, should have been the first to stop and care and comfort. Instead, it's the one person Jesus' audience never would have expected who stops and loads up the stranger, takes him to the nearest hotel, pays for his room, food, and care. The Samaritan is the unlikeliest helper in this scenario because he's the one that Jesus' audience, the Jewish religious elite, the famous, feared, and privileged, had ridiculed, rejected, and cut out of any invitations to participate in worship at their most sacred sites. The Samaritan is the one person who would have been justified in holding on to his bitterness and rejection and ignoring the person in need of a friend. But instead, the Samaritan in Jesus' story physically embodied the second greatest commandment. Without judgment, Without squeamishness and with wholehearted generosity, the Samaritan loved the stranger 
this neighbor as himself. And myself doesn't want to be left alone when I'm hurting. Myself doesn't want to be rejected, uninvited, or abandoned. Myself desperately wants to be seen and feel connected and have people ache with me when I ache and celebrate with me when I celebrate. And I want to interject, just not any people necessarily, but the one or the ones that you call friends. That's the heart of this book, the call back to friendship, even when it's hard, awkward, unfamiliar, or scary. Being willing to be a neighbor in the heart sense of the word is being willing to connect with the people who God puts in our path. It's doing life together, especially the hard parts. It's choosing friendship on purpose. Being a friend, like being a neighbor, requires action on our part. So instead of asking, who is my friend? This book will be asking, how can I be a friend? And so, In ending for today, she says, while we might have defined friendship by what others do to us in the end, it's what we do for others that will define us as friends or not. Wow. Now next week we're going to pick up a friend is a friend at all times, and we'll look specifically at Ruth, Jonathan, and Jesus. I'd like to thank you for joining me today. The best of the best of the best. Be a friend. Take care.